0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Luke chapter number seven has been a good day in God's house and always a good day when you celebrate the resurrection and thank you for being faithful to church tonight praise god for what he did yesterday in the parks and all the folks that were saved and uh, i was in that video but really all i had to do was show up brother ron lewis did all the work at that park but uh it was uh it was a blessing to see all the folks saved and folks encouraged and we actually signed up new prospects for class and it's just a good thing more hooks in the water more fish and uh so next year we'll do it and we'll just do it double twice as big just that many more souls saved it'll be worth it It's a good tired, you know, sometimes you're tired, and why in the world am I tired? But it's good when you look back and say, you know what, I'm tired because I did something for God. And so that's a good tired. I'm praying God will give us just about another 25 or 30 minutes of energy, and maybe we could just have church for a minute, and then we'll call it a night and go to the house, we'll stay up for four or five hours and watch a movie. But I know you're tired, so we need to hurry. Luke chapter number seven, it's the microphone cutting in and out. It won't be a problem, I usually stand still, I can just use this one. That's sarcasm, Gareth. Uh, can I get a handheld? Would that be all right? Can I get a handheld, Pastor? Past right, I hate to ask you to get me one of these college boys. Could if they weren't asleep. get me the handheld? How about the bald one right there? You, no, I'm kidding, Brother Galvan. You stay. Thank you. I can't hear you're saying. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. I'm sorry. Let's see this one. All right, very good. He said, I can't hear a word you're saying. I said, that's probably a good thing. All right, Luke chapter number 7. I want you to look with me. We'll begin reading here in verse number 24 and read down through verse number 35, and I'll read through it quickly, and we'll get to the thought for the message tonight. <clears throat> look at what the Bible says here in verse number 24. Now, John the Baptist is in prison, and his disciples have come to Jesus, and Jesus has reminded the disciples, I am who you think I am. I'm the Lord. Now, in verse 24, he begins to brag on John the Baptist. Wouldn't that be good if the Lord bragged on you a little bit? That's a good thing if Jesus could speak highly of you. Look what it says in verse 24. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? He said, you go out to see someone who was unsteady, somebody who was blown about by every breeze? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? He said, you go see a shaken reed? You go to see a sissy? What would you go to see? Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? And they are like unto children, sitting in the marketplace, and calling one to another, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. There's a country phrase that explains verse 35. The proof is in the pudding. Here's what he's saying. He said, We've sent you joy. We've sent you sorrow. We've sent you truth. We've sent you spirit. We've sent you law. We've sent you grace. We came to you with piping and you wouldn't dance. We came to you with mourning and you wouldn't weep with us. He said, What in the world is it going to take to make you happy? I mean, how in the world are we going to pull an amen out of this crowd? How am I going to get you to be faithful? How are we going to get some gratitude? I've given you everything. We know what to do. He said, we sent John the Baptist. There's some mourning. That's like a funeral. So then Jesus came. That's piping. That's like a wedding or a party. He said, this generation is like a bunch of children. What does it say? They can't be pleased. can't be satisfied. They're unstable. They're restless in all their ways. I wrote down they didn't want holiness and they wouldn't accept humility, so they lived restlessly in their hypocrisy. You know, you just can't please some people. I read the illustration about an old man, maybe you've read it, an old man with a young boy and a donkey. And as they walked through a village, the village people complained and said, why in the world aren't you riding the donkey? That's the donkey's job. So the old man, to please the people, got on the donkey and rode it. They went to the next town, and the old man was riding the donkey, and the boy was behind him, and those people in the next town looked at the old man and said, What a mean old man! You'd make that little boy walk while you ride on that donkey. So to please the people, the old man got off and let the little boy ride the donkey. They rode into the next town. As they came to the next town, the men of that town looked at that young boy on the donkey and said, You lazy, good-for-nothing whippersnapper, making the old man walk behind the donkey while you ride. So the old man to please the people got up on the donkey with the boy. So now they're both riding the donkey into the next city. As they ride together on top of the donkey in the next city, the people of that town began to complain and said, how in the world? This is animal cruelty. How can you both be riding the donkey? The man said, you just can't please some people. So he just picked up the donkey and carried it the rest of the way. (laughs) Sometimes... I'm afraid God must feel like that with us. Man, I came to you with blessings and you weren't happy. I came to you in sorrow and you didn't get any grace or joy. I mean, what in the world am I going to have to do to get this generation to show some gratitude for what I've given them? He said, I piped, but you wouldn't dance. Now I know we're against dancing, so calm down. I came home the other day and I was so proud of my son because I thought he had gotten better at dental hygiene. And he said, Daddy, I've learned how to floss. And I thought, what in the world is that? And he said, do you want to see it? And I said, let's go to the bathroom. He said, I don't have to go to the bathroom. I can do it right here. And he just went to dancing in the living room. And uh, I I thought he might have learned it at the Christian school. But I asked him, and he said, my wife taught it to him. (laughs) And she's embarrassed right now. And if you want to see it, you can ask her, but she'll probably not do it in front of you. I hope you wouldn't. I I, I, want to preach tonight. I want to preach tonight before I get run out of here on this thought. A generation that's too sad to dance and too glad to cry. Just can't please them. Try to give you what you want, but you're not satisfied with it. Let's pray. God, I pray for power. Please help me preach in Jesus' name. Amen. From Genesis 12, when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and promised to make of him a great nation and to bless him abundantly, God has been mighty good to the nation of Israel. They're his chosen people. They're the apple of his eye. They're his precious children. You study the history of Israel and you find it was God who clothed their back. It was God who shooed their feet. It was God who had loaded their tables It was God that gave them guidance and God that gave them goodness and God that had given them grace. You study the history of Israel and you'll see God fought their battles when they had a battle. God directed their footsteps when they needed directing. God kept them fed when they were hungry. And God forgave their transgression when they did wrong. To Israel, God became Jehovah. He's the I Am. We sing that song around here often. What that means is God became to them whatever it was they needed at that moment. He became water for them when they were thirsty. He became bread for them when they were hungry. He became light for them as they walked in darkness. You study the history of Israel. God is piping and God is mourning throughout the history of Israel. You study it out. God gave Abraham Canaan. God united Isaac with Rebekah. God made Jacob into Israel. God was good to Israel. When God saw Noah needed an ark, you know what he did? He gave him an ark. When God saw that Israel needed Moses, you know what he did? He gave him a Moses. When God saw Joshua outside of Jericho, what did he do? He gave him Jericho. When God saw David desiring the throne, what did God do? God put him on the throne. When God saw Esther in need of favor, God gave Esther some favor. When God saw Samson praying for power, what did he do? He gave Samson that power. It was God that gave them life. It was God that gave them leadership. It was God that gave them the law. God piped and God mourned throughout the history of Israel. You study it out and find God was their shepherd and led them to green pastures god was their physician and healed all their wounds god was their husband and though they were unfaithful he abided faithful god chastised them when they did wrong god comforted them when they were hurting god counseled them when they had a question god gave them promises God was their protector and God was their provider it was God that sent them the prophets it was God who showed them all the miracles it was God that had spoken peace to their soul you study out the history of Israel and you can hear piping in the background you'll hear mourning as God tried to meet the needs of his people it was God for Israel he entered into a covenant it was God for Israel he established the priesthood it was God for Israel. He ensured the Messiah. God piped and God mourned. He parted the Red Sea when it was before them. Think about it. He uh, was a fire by day uh, or by night and a cloud by day when they needed lead through the wilderness. It was God who sent manna down from heaven. It was God who sent water out of the rock there in Horeb. It was God who had the brazen serpent lifted up so that all of those who had been bitten could look and live. It was God who was like milk and honey to their soul, and led them into the land of Canaan. And if ever a people should have been sold and settled and satisfied with God, it was the nation of Israel. They should have been dancing when God was piping. They should have been crying when God was mourning. If ever there was a body of people that could have said, we have tasted and seen that the Lord, he is good, and he's over and abundantly above, exceeded our expectations. Expectations. It was the people of God, the nation of Israel. They'd been blessed beyond measure. The goodness of God was showered upon them. they have been wrapped in amazing grace, recipients of God's mercy, and walked in lockstep with the Lord. Hey, they should have been attending God's party. They should have been mourning at the funeral. Whatever the need was, God met the need. Whatever the want was, God met the want. God showed up in sunshine and shadow. God showed up on mountains and valley. God showed up in peace and in battle. God was in the beginning and saw them through all the way to the end. But tonight I want us to consider a generation that is too sad to dance and they're too glad to cry. Here in Luke chapter seven, God is continuing to pipe and mourn to his people. This chapter shows us that God has gifted this generation. You say, what do you mean? Well, this generation in our text has not just one powerful preacher, but they have the two most powerful preachers to ever walk on the face of the planet. They're preaching in tandem, complementing each other at the same time. Could you imagine? having that opportunity, not just to hear one, but hear two, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ at the same time. I mean, they had a wild man from the wilderness and the compassionate Christ. They had a man saying, hey, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then they had the very king who sat on the throne of that kingdom there to sit at his feet as well. They were blessed beyond measure. Now to familiarize yourself with the chapter, let me just give you a brief overview of it. In verse through through 10, there's a man with great resolve. There's a centurion who has a sick servant, but he has such faith in God or resolve that Jesus can heal. He does not even go to the Lord himself because he feels he's unworthy. He sends his servants to get the Lord and the servants say that our master has power and he can tell men to go here or there and they do it. And he has faith that you can just speak the word and heal his sick servant. Jesus said, I've never seen faith as great as that. Not in all of Israel. Can I say we've been preaching on faith, and that is faith right there that God can get the job done no matter the circumstance. Then we find a man, uh, we find a man of resurrection. In verse 11 through verse 17, there's a dead son. I'm talking graveyard dead. He's carried out on a stretcher to his burial, but Jesus shows up. Jesus is probably the one who's wrecked more funerals than you can imagine. Every funeral he attended gave way to life. Jesus shows up, and that dead boy trades out the grave for glorious resurrection. I'm glad that that's what God does. I'm glad that he can yank life out of the midst of death. Then you study on, verse 18 through 23, there's a man with reservation. John the Baptist has been in prison for preaching. That's a good reason to go, by the way. Not a lot of good reasons to ever go, but that's a good one to go there. Uh, But anyway, he's been preaching and in prison. He's a little bit despondent and discouraged, and he begins to doubt, and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus whether or not he is the Christ that they should look for or should they be looking for another now that situation leads us into the verses that we read as the Lord begins to brag if you will upon the person of John the Baptist. Now consider what he's saying. You can see the conversation. He begins to talk about a generation that is restless. That word restless means unsettled. It means dissatisfied. It means discontented. Now, Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees concerning the character of John. Now, this is the same God that had been good in the life of Israel before, and he's still stretching out his hand of goodness to Israel here in this passage. In verse 24 through 28, he begins to run down the resume of this preacher by the name of John the Baptist. I love John the Baptist. I like his conviction. I like his calling. I I like everything about his ministry. If you study out the life of John the Baptist, first you'll notice there's a foretelling of his ministry. John the Baptist is a prophesied baby. An angel came to his parents and it marked the rebirth of prophecy in that period of time. John the Baptist is going to be a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament embodiment of the Old Testament preacher Elijah. He had a foretelling. Then I think about John the Baptist, his fidelity. By that I mean he's a faithful man. You didn't have to wake John up to go and serve God. He was always on ready to go serve God. He was faithful. He was faithful in the way that he dressed. He was faithful in the food that he would eat. You know his story. He'd wear a camel girdle about his body. He'd eat locusts and wild honey. He's a strange individual. But I like John the Baptist because of his fervency. John the Baptist is a preacher. John the Baptist is didn't ask anybody's opinion. He didn't wet his finger to the wind. He didn't ask the big giver or the head deacon. He didn't check with the leading lady of the church. He just got behind the pulpit and said, what thus saith the Lord? And I'm gonna say America'd be a lot better off if some man of God would clear off a spot every once in a while and just have a fit in Jesus' name and just preach what thus saith the Lord. Can you imagine getting here? John the Baptist? He's in the wilderness and folks came to hear him preach. He had such great cry that would gather there in the wilderness. He'd baptize them by immersion in deep water after they repented and they got right. I'd love to have sat at the feet of the John the Baptist, but you study it out and you find the Pharisees rejected John. In fact, in verse 30, that's what it says. The Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against them. They didn't like John. They didn't like his style. They didn't like his sermon. They didn't like he was so straight. you always got to be against everything, John. You're always talking about the winnowing and the threshing floor and the fire and calling us a generation of vipers. We don't like that hard preaching. Can't you be a little bit nicer, a little bit smoother, a little more suave and sophisticated? I just don't really care uh, for John. We want to kind of just continue on with our religiosity. John, you're upset in the apple cart with all this repent and make his path straight the Pharisees had some issues. Number one, they were just too familiar with the things of God. They were so familiar with what they thought God was up to, they couldn't see what God wanted to do. Then they had not just familiarity, but formality. They were so wrapped up in their outward external religion that they couldn't allow God to work on their heart. They were used to carrying their King James Bible to church, wearing their Sunday dress and nice paisley necktie, sitting in their family's assigned pew, going to the same old Sunday school class, walking in dead, going through the motions, never letting the Holy Spirit upset anything in their life that they couldn't even realize right in front of you is the one you've been studying all these years in your school. Talk about a dead Bible college. Everybody all right? Then they had something else not going for them, their flesh the reason they wouldn't submit to the counsel of God is they're too full of themselves. Prideful. Now, that repentance is good for publicans and sinners, but not for Pharisees. I mean, that preaching was for the person next to me, but it wasn't for me. Man, she needed that one tonight. He needed to hear that one. But, man, I didn't need that one. They sure needed that one. So in verse 31 through 32, the Lord lowers the crosshairs on this whole generation, and he likens them to spoiled little children. In verse 31, it says, and the Lord said, where unto shall I liken the men of this? And it's pretty convicting that it says the men of this generation. And what are they like? He said, now what can I liken them to? Maybe soldiers of the cross. No. I don't know. stalwarts of the faith. No. He said, here's what I liken them. They're like this. They're like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, we have piped unto you and you've not danced. We have mourned to you and you have not Wept. Now, Jesus is not addressing their innocency, but rather their immaturity. He's not saying that they're childlike; he's saying that they're childish. Now, God can God condones. He He wants childlike faith, but not childish Christians. You say, "What is it to be childish? You cannot please a child. Their attention span is short. They want something till they get it, then they want something else." They, I don't know if you have a picky eater, we have one of those. Doesn't matter what you put, I don't want that. I don't want that. Now, I grew up under capital punishment where it didn't matter if it was edible or, enough, uh, or not. If it was in front of you, you ate it. And it's scientifically proven that if you chew broccoli long enough, it doesn't go down, but my parents would make us eat it anyhow. He said, that's what this generation's like. After all God has done for you, you're still not settled on God. You're still not satisfied with God. You're still not sold on God? He said, here's what you remind me of. A bunch of children sitting down at the Walmart, at the marketplace, playing, pretending, acting. You know when children get together, they make-believe. So he said, here's the scene. The marketplace is packed and jammed and parents bring their children there and these children begin to play. There's some joyous children there and they say, hey, let's pretend like we're at a wedding. A wedding was the most festive event in the nation of Israel in the life of a Jew. I told you on Wednesday, a wedding might go on for seven days, the partying, there's music going. I mean, there's all kinds of laughter and joy. Everybody's excited. And so they'd play wedding and they'd be, I'm gonna be the preacher and I'm gonna be the groom. And I'm going to be the groomsman And we'll be the bridesmaid And I'll be the maid of honor And they'd play wedding and pipe the song And yet these other kids just sit there We don't want to play wedding We don't feel like playing wedding today We don't want to play wedding If it's anything like mom and dad's marriage We don't want it, amen Keep that She said, fine, we'll play funeral Now most churches play funeral every week said, all right, then we'll play funeral. I'll be the pallbearers. I'll be the preacher. I'll be the dead man, <laughs> you know, whatever. And they begin to play funeral. And so then they begin, if you study in the life of the Jews, they, had, they would hire mourners to mourn. That's like paying your praise to, you know, you just hire the mourners. Here, I'll pay you money to be sad over this. And they'd walk the street and beat their breasts and wail, oh, so bad and so they'd go through the market doing that playing funeral and then they'd say I kind of wanted to go to a wedding today wait a minute you just said you didn't want to play wedding yeah but now I kind of want to play wedding but I just gave you funeral you said you wanted I changed my mind fickle amen flesh what is that childish here's what he's saying when there's music playing you're supposed to dance When there's mourning going on, you ought to be weeping. But it seems like whatever God does for you, you're just not satisfied with it. You're not content with it. You're not happy with it. When God wants to party, man, you want to pout. When God said it's time to weep, you don't feel like mourning with him. After all he's done, you're still not grateful. You're still not thankful. You're still not satisfied. Consider what he's done. He gave you John, the forerunner, with all of his fire and all of his zeal and his straight preaching and then he gave you Jesus, the fulfillment with his humility and his holiness and his heart. He's healing people. You can sit at his feet and see the Lord and hear him speak like never a man spake. You ought to be pumped up. You ought to be joyous. You ought to be satisfied. You ought to be content. You got John over here ripping and roaring and Jesus over here loving and showing compassion and yet you won't dance at the party and you won't at the funeral he said it's like a bunch of children he said we've given you zeal but you won't get stirred up we've given you wisdom but you won't receive it we tried to give you inspiration but you won't get a vision we've given you correction but you won't get right we've given you grace but you don't say thank you then we preach to you truth and you can't say amen we've piped but you say i feel like mourning I'm just too down to dance, and I'm too high to cry. I just don't know what I want. I think about that Bible verse in Romans, quotes from Isaiah. All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. God said, I came to you with joy, and you said, well, we kind of wanted sorrow. Well, I came came to you with consolation. Yeah, but we kind of felt like conviction today. I came to you down, and you wanted to be up. I came to you with passion, and you said, well, we want peace. I don't want to dance at your party. I don't want to attend your wedding. And then I go the next day and say, well, now I don't really feel like going to a funeral. So here's what I want to ask. What exactly are you expecting God to give you anyhow? What is it that God could do for you that he hadn't already done for you? What more could God do for his vineyard, amen? What more could God do for me and you than he's done already? What exactly is it that you're expecting? I mean, what is it that you want? What would tickle your religious fancy where you could give a holy grunt for God being good in your life? I'm not trying to be harsh. We're all family, and you you know that. You can cuss me after the service, and I'll say amen. doesn't bother me. Ah, but here, what? here's what I'm asking. How much better than God's already been could God be in my life and in yours? And if this isn't enough, what's it going to to take. He already gave you breath. He gave you life one day. He chose you before you were ever made. God loved you enough to give you existence. And then he gave you his blood. He died for you on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood for your sins. And then he puts bread on your table. Every day you've got food for your belly, nourishment for your body. He loads us down with blessings and benefits. That's over and above what we need to survive. How much better could God be than God's been already? We preach against it often, how churches are involved in marketing. But that's not even true now. I read a report. Churches, it's not marketing. Now it is micro-marketing. Marketing Marketing doesn't work. So now we have to narrow it down to even smaller demographics. We have to market to every little segment to keep that segment. Next thing you know, we're going to be doing Easter at the park. Oh, my. We've already done it we got a pipe for certain people because they don't feel like weeping. But then there's a crowd over here that if we pipe, they think we're liberal and they want to mourn. Hello? And then the next week it flips, so we go pipe to the pipers and they say, well, now this week we want to cry. Wait a minute. You wanted to pipe last week. Yeah, but not this week. And then we go try to mourn with the weepers, and they say, we kind of feel like worshiping and shouting today, what are you doing? Well, that's not what you wanted last week. So we have to get all these little micro-marketing strategies just to try to satisfy people with God. Can I say, if God did nothing more for me and you than to save our old wretched soul from a devil's hell, we got reason to be faithful, and reason to say amen, and reason to show up, and reason to witness, and reason to love, and reason to give, and reason to serve, and reason to stay, and reason to say, just God's been good I mean, we expect so much. God's been better than good to all of us. But can I say what more does he have to do? What exactly are you looking for? I don't really like the special music. Well, what kind of music would you like? I promise you'll change your tastes in another month or two anyhow. I don't really like the way they pass the place. How would you like them to do it? Frisbee it down your, in fact I might think that'd be good. Make somebody up. Frisbee it down the pew. I don't like Sunday school. I wish it was more like this. Yeah, and then you'll get tired of that. We've got to get to the point where we're dissatisfied in Jesus. That God's enough that we're just content not to be going to hell that he saved us for all eternity what are you looking for what's it gonna take what more could God do how is it that Christ is piping and we won't dance and he mourns and we won't weep how is it what could Jesus do anymore for us what could the church do anymore what what more could the church do to satisfy you It's hard for me to preach. We need a guest preacher to preach it. Because you'll think, well, he's just talking about them. But that's not what I'm talking about. He knows we could preach someplace every other night of the week, right? Together even. Only thing I hate about that is the last time you made me preach second. I don't like that. I like to preach first and really knock it out of the park and make it hard on the second guy. And I really hate it when this first guy does that to me. And he did that the other night, and I was so mad. And then he said, let me buy you something to eat. And he didn't because nobody wasn't anywhere to eat. We, we didn't eat for two days. We starved to death. But honestly, what more? What, with this choir, what more do you want? I mean, what do you want five old ladies with their hearing aids not working and a piano with dust when they pluck the keys and come up and they're singing. They're singing a song like Long Black Train or something like that in church. And what is that what you'd prefer? I mean, you just want to do a funeral every Sunday? Is that what you like? You don't like the piping? You want to do the morning. What more do you want? What more do you want out of the Sunday school? I mean, what more do you want? you got people who've been there faithful and they love you enough to come in and labor and study. What more do you want? Well, I'm just not happy with it. You're not going to be happy with anything because you're like children in the marketplace. i just don't like the school well what kind of school do you want you want to be taught evolution and all the weirdo stuff in the public school is that what you want i mean would that satisfy you if we you know i wouldn't like that either well then just settle in and calm down and be satisfied with what you got god has been mighty good to all of us tonight you say is it perfect no it's just the greatest he says it is i don't know if it is or not but it's pretty good What more can he do, all this, and you won't shout and serve and get stirred up and serious about God? How about trying this, gratitude and not griping? How about try positivity over negativity? Oh, you'll probably get a cramp if you do, though. How about try praise over pouting? Just give it a try. How about try, whenever you get served broccoli, just learn to eat the broccoli? Because next Sunday there might be steak. And then enjoy your steak. Amen. Get satisfied. I tell you what our problem is, and it's the same problem as the Pharisees. Familiarity. I already know exactly what we're going to sing. I know who's going to sing it. I know when the preacher is going to raise up his hand during the choir opener. Hello. I mean, I watch things. I know. I know who's going to come to the altar first. It's like that in every church, isn't it? We, we know who's going to come, and that's fine. I'd re- I'm less worried about people who always come. I'm more worried about people who never come. I don't even care if you come, go back, and come again because you forgot to do something that you should have done the first time. But if you never come, I worry about that. We're so familiar with it. We've, we, we, we've had a Bible in our hand for so many years. We've got the standards down. We know how to recite all the code of conduct and all of those things. We're used to seeing the baptism. Some churches don't see one baptism all year long. Think about that. We're used to seeing folks walk the aisle. Some folks never see anybody walk the aisle. But we're so familiar with it that we'll walk in and, and the preacher say, th- I've been praying all week, man. I've been studying, got God on me. We're going to pipe today. I mean, I can't wait. We're going to have a wedding today. It's going to be a feast the entire service. We got the specials lined up. We got a quartet singing. We got a trio. We got, the, uh, we got our Mexican song leader all fired up, Brother Martinez over there. I mean, it's going to be great. Uh, and we got the announcements, and I got a sermon. And we get up there, and he's preaching on how good God's been. And everybody's like, oh, can't wait to get out of here. I wanted a funeral today. Yeah, we can tell. So next week, we give him a funeral. (laughs) And it's just blood and guts everywhere, nothing's right. Bless God, you know, conspiracies and all that. That's what we're preaching on all day. Everybody sits there like, kind of wanted a party today. Yeah, this day you did, but not last week. You're going to have to learn how to just be stable. Everybody is so restless. And I understand that in a, in, to an extent we get restless with, with our car maker. We don't like Ford now. We like Chevy. or what, We go back and forth. I was Nike. Now I'm Under Armour, whatever. I was, uh, uh, what is it called? 49ers and now I'm not or whatever. Thank you. Thank you. I always like it when Rob gives me permission. And I understand that to an extent. That doesn't matter. But God you shouldn't be so up and down with God. Get in and out with God. you got to be satisfied with the Lord. I read a hymn that says, I'm satisfied with Jesus. He's done so much for me. He has suffered to redeem me. He has died to set me free. i tell you why. I think most churches fail. Probably most preachers get out. Probably why most Christians get discouraged. Because you showed up one day walking with the donkey. And found out, man, they they want me to ride it. So I'm gonna try to ride it. And then somebody comes along the next Sunday and says, I can't believe that you're riding on that donkey and letting those other people walk. So like, well get off and let them walk. And then somebody else comes along and says, I can't believe that young crowd's that lazy. So then they both get on the donkey. Then after a while I thought, you know what, I can't please these people. Let that not be said of us. I don't want to be like a child, a child that can't be pleased or satisfied. I just want to be able to be thankful for what God has given to me. Whatever it is, it could be worse. Amen. And we are all blessed tonight with what God has blessed us with. Salvation, I mean, God has been good to us. Let me ask you this. Let's just try gratitude. If God wants to pipe, let's dance. God wants to mourn, let's weep. I'm going to pray the altar be open. It's Easter. You worked hard yesterday, but let's close out Easter Sunday just saying, Lord, help me to be satisfied with you. Help me to be content with you. Help me not to be restless. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us,